When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sports betting season is in full force with the NFL officially back, which means you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like Bet US. Bet US have been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. And they have loads of bonuses. Join now at BetUS.com today and receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using bonus code CHICAGO125. BetUS is known as America's favorite sportsbook for a lot of reasons. BetUS has your NFL games with team and player props and loads of NFL futures and odds. In addition to the NFL, you can bet on college football games, PGA golf, UFC matches, and more. They have every bet type imaginable, and the BetUS mobile platform is easy to use with full betting options. Follow my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. Cash in on your 125% sign-up bonus at BetUS.com with our code CHICAGO125. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. It's Wednesday, October 6th, 2021, which will be known as the day in history that the Chicago Bears officially announced that Justin Fields is the team's full-time starting quarterback moving forward. That's right. Justin Fields is officially QB1 for reals this time. I'm Rose DeWitt, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nicholas Moriano. This week's show, well, this is going to be our week five installment of Meet the Opponent. Uh, we're setting our sights on the 3-1 Las Vegas Raiders, who are coming off their first loss of the season as they fell to the Chargers on Monday night. Uh, what type of team are we up against? Just how will the Bears be challenged? And where are some maybe potential ways the Bears can exploit the Raiders? Those are all great questions. Uh, we're going to get some answers soon. We'll welcome our this week's guest, Scott Galbronson of the Silver and Black. Tonight in today's show, radio show over on the Mightier 1090 AM station over in Southern California. But before Scott comes on, Nick and I decided that, hey, you know what? Maybe we should start a little early to talk about Justin Fields a little bit. I mean, he was anointed the team's official starting quarterback today, and we figured, you know what? That is worth some discussion. So, Nick, I wanted to hand it over to you. I just want to know, where were you when the news broke? I was at work, and there's a bunch of notifications popping up on my phone. I couldn't look at them. I was working with a student on a paper, and then I see... Justin Fields is named the starter. And at first, Will, I didn't think it was the starter for the entirety of the, the season moving forward. And then I, I got a chance to kind of listen to Matt Nagy and then also see what he had said. And this is what, going into the week five game, wasn't this the same week that Mitchell Trubisky also was named the week five, you know, in week five? That So I, I connect the dots there, but it was a sense of relief, honestly, because I think this 
you know, who's going to be starting, who's going to be the backup, this carousel of questions that, you know, the media would ask and Matt Nagy would give no answer to. I think it was just time to be done and over with that. And Matt Nagy said that the process was sped up because of Andy Dalton and the injury that he suffered, but also seeing how, you know, Justin Fields handled things. So it was the right thing to do. And I think it's the right move for the Chicago Bears moving forward in terms of what they think their strengths are as an offense and how Justin Fields can really capitalize on those strengths. Yeah, I'm elated by this news. Like you, I was at work, so I was going through all the things, saw it kind of break. I was like, no way. Like Nagy figured it out. He let some of that either, you know, ego go or just his resistance uh, to make this kind of decision. Uh, and he's been sticking with that plan that he's had all off season, maybe a little bit too rigidly. Um, but at this moment, you know, I can at least be proud that he was able to kind of pull the trigger a bit and make a decision like this. He didn't have to. We probably could have rolled with another week of Justin Fields as the starter with Andy Dalton, quote, working his way back from the injury. Mason can give us, you know, his kind of insight on that tomorrow during our preview show. But Nick, why do you think now was the time, even if they did have maybe an out for another week or two, why does it make sense to do it today? I think they had seen enough. Um, just with Justin Fields, and I know it was against the Detroit Lions, but seeing how he's able to, what Matt Nagy kind of talked about in his press conference is how he came back from that Cleveland game, how he handled it, and what he was capable of doing, and what he ultimately did against the Detroit Lions last Sunday, getting that win, and I think really just adding in those explosive plays to the offense, because he really did a good job of just operating the offense and playing within the game plan and listening to what Bill Lazor called for him, and Justin Fields executed, but it was just time, Will. I think they had seen enough. Matt Nagy was saying what they saw in preseason, what they saw in training camp, what they saw obviously through the three first games, and then the Detroit game was enough for them to feel comfortable that Justin was progressing further than they anticipated. So it was just the right time to finally make the move. That was going to be inevitable. At, At some point it was going to happen, but it was just the right time, Will. I'm glad it was. I'm excited we didn't have to wait this thing out because I know preseason when the schedule came out, we're looking, when do we expect Justin Fields and you know, early optimistic thoughts were maybe that Lions game, maybe towards the bye week, if not later. And I'm excited that we're here. It's real. It's tangible. And we can show up to game days knowing, hey, Justin Fields is the full-time starter of the Chicago Bears. We get to watch him work through some of these rookie growing pains. I wonder, too, if Trey Lance now, with his situation in San Francisco changing, does allow the Bears to feel like, you know what, out of the five quarterbacks taken in the first round, why does Justin need to be the one not playing if everyone else is? And we think he can be the guy here. Uh, I saw a super chat come in from DJ. Uh, so thank you so much for supporting our show with the super chat. And he asked a really good question, wanting to know if we believe Laser is going to call uh, you know, more plays for the rest of the year for Justin Fields. And I feel like, at least based off of what Nagy said here today, uh, kind of reiterating what I thought I saw on the sidelines come the game on Sunday with him being more engaged uh, with all three phases of this team. I thought I saw him being much more involved when the defense is on the field in particular uh, than I have in games past. I don't feel like they're going to revert back to Nagy calling plays. It's not good for a rookie quarterback to have his play caller changed multiple times. Uh, I think once is enough. And what we saw, again, I know we were going up against the Lions defenses was pretty poor against the pass. I I liked what Laser was able to do schematically, and I want to see how these two can grow together. So as I can sit here entering week five, Nick, I feel like this is Laser's opportunity the rest of the way. Do you feel the same way? I do. I think Bill Lazor just has a better feel for how to call plays, but you highlighted on a very important point. It allows Matt Nagy to not have to be so invested in, you know, calling the plays on Sundays and not being aware of everything else that's going on and what it takes to really be a good head coach in the league. So with Bill Lazor up top, I, I honestly, I just like the all 22 kind of view as well, just being able to see the entire field and what Justin Fields also talked about. It's like, he has this, this calmness in his voice too, when he kind of relays the plays and it's different from when you're up there in the booth among your, you know, other people that you work with. And then when you're on the sidelines and you you have all these emotions and and everything there. So I think Bill Lazor should be the one to continue calling plays because thus far he knows how to actually do it and do it effectively and scheme up things and kind of work off of, Hey, we ran play action here. Let's take a deep shot and let's keep the running game 
involved in this. And that's going to be key when David Montgomery comes back that this Bears team could still commit to the run game and be able to just, again, utilize all the options that they have. So Bill Lazor should definitely be the one calling plays moving forward. Do you think they just like watch film, remember the fact that Justin had those five explosive plays, four passes that went for 25 or more yards, finished the week as the NFL's uh, biggest passer in terms of intended and completed air yards? And are like, yeah, we're going to need this in our offense. They keep bringing all the speed at receiver. You have the quarterback to unlock and leash the speed in Justin Fields. It makes so much sense uh, to kind of keep him out there. What kind of impact do you expect us to have on the locker room, Nick? I feel like if I was a player of the Chicago Bears and if I saw what I saw out of Justin Fields in practice in that game and knew, well, we may be having to go back to Andy Dalton here soon, I feel like that would not bode well for me internally. But knowing that Justin's now the guy, it's another way to build excitement, I think, around this ball club internally too. Uh, Whether it be, you know, Justin's first start, although that didn't work out as expected, but now the next step of saying, oh, this is our guy. And I also believe that in order for the Bears to make a move like this, Justin must have already had this locker room won over completely, which is no surprise based off everything we know of Justin, the work ethic that he has. Heck, he didn't even go out to dinner uh, with his parents to celebrate last night and said he wanted to watch film with his dog, Uno. Uh, testament to Justin's work ethic, his class act in terms of how he prepares uh, for himself and just the aspirations that he has, too. But what kind of impact do you think this could have with the other 52 guys on this team? I think there's like a sense of relief, right? Just because they know that hey, Justin's going to be the one out there. And and this is not, you know, like a shot at Andy Dalton because in, in the games that he showed, he showed that he can operate the offense. But I think there's just more that the offense itself and really the team itself feels when Justin Fields is out there operating this offense and what he's just capable of. So I think there is a sense of relief. And with Justin Fields, you know, just the, just the person that he is, like this locker room, obviously from day one has just gravitated towards him. And all the veterans have said, he's, he's not like any other rookie kind of has like this veteran, like aura around him and how he approaches things, how meticulous he is with his work ethic and things like that. And like you, the anecdote you shared about him not wanting to go celebrate with his parents when he knew he got the starter job, that just shows the, the, the professional that Justin Fields is even though he's, you know, obviously a rookie, but I think this locker room is happy for him. It shows what hard work can do in terms of what you can achieve. And even as a rookie. So I think there is a sense of relief, but ultimately that locker room's feeling like, Hey, Justin Fields gives us probably the best chance to win. We want him out there. Yeah. I'm so excited uh, about this. And uh, I'm sure tomorrow with Mason, we're going to have this conversation uh, yet again, Uh, It's the biggest news that we've had in such a time here in Chicago, but I do see that our guest this week, Scott, has joined the green room. So, Nick, let's go ahead and bring him on so we can pick his brain on all things Raiders. Scott, how's it going, man? Good, guys. How are you doing tonight? You having fun in here? Uh, Good news for the the Bears. Will they finally find their quarterback? That's the question. (laughs) I I think we've found it. The question I didn't get to ask Nick before you popped on is, can we develop the franchise guy. That's the biggest question right now here uh, surrounding the Chicago Bears. But Scott, uh, how are you doing here this evening? I'm glad that we're able to work this out to bring you on because I'm really just looking forward to your insight on this Raiders team, a team that I know they're coming off a loss here on Monday night, but they've had a very strong start to their season still. And I'm excited to learn just what kind of team we have in store here. Yeah, no, no. Happy to come on. I appreciate you guys having me. And again, you know, it's 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 a little bit like going home because I'm I'm a Chicago native, actually Chicago land native. So there you go. Uh, but my dad, when when he brought me up, uh, he had had all those years of being a Bear fan, and I think it got to him. So he did not bring me up a Bears fan. We moved away when I was a kid, uh, so I, I grew up in other places. Uh, so I didn't do that. But but he was always he was always in the back of his mind. I know a Bears fan, even though he moved on to other teams. But he always checked the Bears score. So it was always thick in the house with. Uh, with bears and I had to hear the, the, the fight song all the time when I was a kid. So uh, <laughs> bear, bears are familiar with me. Well, there you go. When you re-listen to the podcast, when we publish it, uh, we have their fight song, a version of it in our intro and outro. So you can have some childhood nostalgia for yourself <laughs> uh, once we get to it. But, you know, Nick and I, we are excited to have you on. We respect your time. So if you would like, we can jump right in just to the handful of questions that we have for you. Let's do it. 
Awesome. So the Raiders they enter this week three and one, as I said. But man, does it feel like Scott? They just make they've been making things hard on themselves. Uh, two of their wins came after going down 14-0. Uh, we saw this Bears team have some good comebacks last season too. Uh, started that year three and zero, but that ended up being kind of a fallacy. Uh, the team had a poor second half of the season, limped to an eight and eight finish. So after a month of just watching this Raiders team start three and one heavily reliant on these comebacks after slow starts. Where's your headspace around them? Is the energy positive? I just kind of want a quick, I'm going to call it a vibe check here to kind of start yeah. things off. No, it's a great place to start in. And and I'll tell you, on our radio show, we've talked about it from the beginning, myself and my co-host, Momotin. We talked about it from the offseason, and, and Raider fans got a little upset with us, saying, why are you being negative? And we kept telling them, we're not being negative, but going into the season, I picked them as a nine and 18, right? So I said, look, they're going to be one game better, which fans would not be happy with after the Raiders have gone from seven and nine to eight and eight. And then to finish at nine and eight with the extended season this year, wasn't something they wanted to hear. But the main reason I thought that is what you saw actually in the charger loss, which was the offensive line. They completely switched out their offensive line with the exception of Colton Miller, uh, who's been great since he came in as a rookie from UCLA at the left tackle. They switched everybody out. Rodney Hudson traded away. Trent Brown, who was really only a Raiders offensive lineman in name only because he never played, and he's doing the same thing in New England again this year. Um, he was gone. Uh, but then you had Gabe Jackson as well. So you had a line that had been together for quite a while. They were starting to deteriorate a little bit. So I can understand the Raiders saying, okay, we need to get younger there. But then, then they went out. They got an inexperienced center in Andre James. They gave him a nice new contract, which none of us could understand. And so it's no, no wonder that they're struggling. Alex Leatherwood on the right tackle spot, uh, a kid out of Alabama this in this draft, right? He's a good player, but he's got issues too, and he's struggling as any rookie does at tackle for the most part in the NFL. And so I wasn't surprised by the struggles early and the offense actually starting off slowly in those games and them having to come back to win. And it finally kind of caught up with them, with the Chargers, who I said going into that game, that not only was it a massive game for the for them because it's a divisional game, but also it felt like a playoff game in week four because the Chargers were the most balanced team they had played. They had played a good defense in Miami. Of course, like you said, it had to go to overtime to beat them. Of course, Baltimore as well. So they had played some good defenses, but overall, when you look at offense, defense, the Chargers were the most well-balanced team. So this was the first big test, and the offense came out. That offensive line was just awful. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. Uh, they couldn't protect Derek Carr. Derek Carr has done well even under uh, uh, duress during the earlier part of the season, the first three games, uh, and got away with it. But this time, they just couldn't get away with it, as I think Los Angeles had a little bit more athletic uh, folks up front. But the, the Chargers' defense is terrible against the run. The Raiders could not establish a run. Josh Jacobs still hurt. Uh, Kenyon Drake, a guy they're giving $13 million to, he didn't even get any carries. He got four receptions, uh, and so it's kind of a question mark on why they're not using him there as well. So they've been banged up, and and really injuries catch up with them. Uh, but I don't think I don't think overall Raider Nation is that concerned. They they look at the rest of the schedule and say, okay, every game in the NFL is tough, but um, they got through that first four game gauntlet at three and one. Uh, I really thought they could go one and three. And so I think at three and one, a lot of people are happy, cautiously optimistic. I think this game against the Bears on Sunday in Vegas is going to be huge because how do they bounce back? That's what the NFL is about. It's about resiliency. It's about coming back from the loss. So, so I think there's cautious optimism, a little concern with injuries and that offensive line. You know, Scott, I'm real curious your thoughts on the Joey Bosa uh, quote on Derek Carr as well. How was that received uh, in your neck of the woods? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, uh, the, the reporters asked the question today at the press conference about it. Um, I don't look at it as any big deal. And, and I always kind of – I'm a contrarian in this way, is that when you ask somebody that question and the answer is, hey, it's no big deal, and then they go on and talk about it for three minutes – Hmm. It might be something that's in that psyche. Now, it also could be Bolton board fodder for the next time that because they're divisional rivals. They're going to play again later in the season. So from that standpoint, I think it, it probably be good for the Raiders because they can stew on it a little bit. But I was concerned because there was it, it seemed the media pool was a little more concerned with it than the Raiders were. Max Crosby, the, the, the defensive end, the, the, the young defensive end who's off to such a great start this season. Uh, they asked him about it and he kind of seemed like, OK, we're focused on Chicago. Like, <laughs> Who cares what Joey Bosa? said uh and Joey Bosa said a bunch of stuff uh, after the game 
about the referees too, which he's going to get fined over. And so, you know, there's just there's some game gamesmanship going on there. Uh, but overall, I say, look, you know what? It's it's they're professionals. Derek Carr talked about it, said he was a little pissed off today about it. Who wouldn't be when somebody calls you soft? Right. I mean, yeah. I, if you if you don't have a pulse, if somebody calls you soft and, and you're not. But but overall, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal until that week before the next Charger game. And then I'm sure it'll be everything. And Scott, like speaking about Derek Carr, besides that, you know, that comment, really, I think he's been having a phenomenal season. What do you make of the season he's had through four games so far? Well, it's it's been remarkable because he it, with the exception of the Charger games where I saw, I think, some of the things that I had seen in previous years where um, he didn't deal with pressure as well. Now, he was under more pressure against the Chargers than I think in previous games, even though there was plenty of pressure then too. Um, he just seemed to regress a little bit. I don't know why that was, but overall he's been fantastic. I mean, you look at, uh, at his stats and what he's been able to do, leading the league in, in passing yards, uh, what, 1399 now, so just under 1,400 yards. Uh, he had a couple picks, including a pick six uh, that he owned and said, hey, that was my fault. But overall... He's been great, and I attribute that to uh, confidence in the system. It's a fourth year in John Gruden's system. He's learned it. He owns it. He's familiar with it, uh, and he's been able to do things and have a better pocket presence, really. He's been stepping up in the pocket. A lot of the criticism of Derek Carr over the years has been he gets too nervous in the pocket. He gets happy feet when he's under pressure. This year, we haven't seen that. Saw a little more of it in the Charger game, but I don't think it's it's a long-term thing. He's been able to do that. That means he's reading off his progressions and being able to find receivers downfield. It also helps that his young wide receivers, Henry Ruggs III from Alabama last year, um, also Brian Edwards, and then you have Hunter Renfro, uh, as we call him, third in Renfro, uh, and then, of course, Darren Waller, who's, who's you know top two tight end in the NFL. Those guys now, he's spreading the ball out even more, so he's finding his receivers so you can see that he's going through his progressions downfield and finding the receiver and creating plays. And I said it after 3-0. and I said the reason the Raiders were 3-0 and was simply because of Derek Carr. Yes, the Raiders' defense is much better than it's been in the last five years, but at the same time, Derek Carr has taken that team on his shoulders and won two games in overtime, uh, and he's going to have to do that again, I think, for a while until they can figure out what they're going to do with that offensive line. Yeah, Scott, you mentioned it. The Raiders, when I watch them play this season, they're playing real selfless football, really spreading the wealth on that side of the ball. I know Henry Ruggs, he's that deep threat, all the speed in the world. I think he's the only player in the NFL with uh, 10 or more catches that averages over 20 yards per reception, just right. to put that in perspective. Um, but you mentioned Mr. Third Down Hunter Renfro. What makes him just so good in that regard so far this year? Boy, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you the story of the first time I met Hunter Renfro in person. Um, and we went, we were going to a, a community event at a high school in Las Vegas uh, where they were doing something with the Dairy Council of Nevada about feeding kids in the morning. And so we get to this high school and I'm outside. It's very early in the morning. I get there, a car pulls up, this guy gets out. It's Hunter Renfro, right? Uh, and Hunter Renfro, if you see him on the street, he looks like your seventh grade math teacher, okay? And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> he just does. So he walks up to the door, and I know who he was. And I said, oh, I introduced myself. And then the door opens, and it's the security guy from the high school. Uh, and he says, oh, are you a student? Do you want to come in? He said that to Hunter. So, so again, <laughs> I, I only share that story because, it, you know, when you see Hunter Renfro on the street, you're like, this guy can't be a professional athlete. But on the field, this guy's moves, if you watch uh, a tape of him, if you watch the All-22 and you see what he does, uh, his moves, his quickness, his like, lateral quickness, he's not Henry Ruggs. He's not going downfield uh, for 60 yards. But when he gets the ball, he makes people miss. The cuts, the, the ability for him to run routes uh, are is amazing. And you, you saw him a couple times, even against Derwin James of the Chargers, uh, take him out of his shoes. Uh, so he's very elusive. And the thing that I equate that to, and Hunter was on our show once a week last year, so I got to know him pretty well, is that he puts in more time and effort to improve and to study and to work on his technical game, so much so, and you see that on the field. And now in year three, he's really starting, I think, to to separate himself and to show what he's able to do. Uh, and that quickness that he has uh, really just makes tacklers evade him. He also creates in space. If you give him the ball in space, uh, again, he's not that assuming. So people, I think, take him a little lightly, including opponents, and then he'll put a quick little move on you, and suddenly he's got 10 more yards. Now, Scott, with how the Raiders have been playing offensively, it's, is, it has been very pass-heavy oriented, second in the league in pass attempts. With John Gruden, I know he wants to establish that run, and it just hasn't been happening. 
what what's been maybe the obviously the the offensive line has a part to do with that but is this something that the raiders they want to stick with moving forward being so heavy reliant on this passing game or i mean at some point this rushing attack has to catch up Oh, absolutely. No. And the answer is no, they don't want to, they don't want to be a, a, a primarily passing offense. As you said, John Gruden needs to, to pound the rock as he calls it. And I think that that's been part of the problem too. If you look at the Raiders, Peyton Barber, a guy they signed off of the, the waiver wire from Washington, Peyton Barber lost his job to an undrafted rookie free agent in Washington. They bring him in. He is their leading rusher right now. He had one good game. He got 111 yards a couple weeks ago in one game. It was a career high for him. He's got 143 on the year. Uh, Josh Jacobs, of course, been hampered by an ankle injury and turf toe. He's only got 74 yards. That's your number one running back you drafted in the first round. And then Kenyon Drake, a guy I actually thought was a great signing for them as a spell for Josh Jacobs, as a guy in case Josh Jacobs got hurt. Um, Kenyon Drake's not getting any carries. He's got 46 yards. He is very effective in the passing game, so they have been using him there. Uh, but it, it's really uh, a trouble, and it starts with that offensive line. They're not able to establish the run like they have to. Now, they played some pretty good, dang good defenses, including Pittsburgh early on, who, who was a little better, and now they seem to falter. But but I think that they have to do something there. They have to figure it out, and that starts with the offensive line. They're not able to, to, to create the opportunities for those running backs to find it. Uh, and it also seems that the Raiders have been – uh, quicker to give up on the run during some of these games. And I think it's just John Gruden realizing what he's dealing with. Uh, and in the first three games, they were very effective of, of, of be- not having a running game, but then switching to that short passing game. Because like I said, Drake, very good there. You have Hunter Renfro. You even line up Henry Ruggs. They put him out on a bubble screen. They do all sorts of short patterns with him as well. And that worked very well for them through three weeks. So I think you might see that some more until they can figure out what happened. So I, I anticipate... They'll try to establish the run with the Bears, but the Bears have a good defensive front there. And so so they may have to go back to that short passing game again. And if they can't do that, then I think the Raiders will be in trouble against the Bears defense. Now, you mentioned the offensive line and uh, your reviews were not so positive so far. One of our listeners, his name is Peter S., he was just wondering how that pass protection in particular was looking. Uh, he was asking uh, in also for friends like Khalil Mack, uh, Robert Quinn, uh, Travis Gibson, mm-hmm. you know, Roquan Smith. Any of those matchups in particular were you the most? All of them. Um, <laughs> I think I think you look at the Bears. I mean, between those three guys, what, there's like 10 sacks or 10 and a half sacks, whatever it is. So, so they're off to a good start. I think people have been focusing, people outside Chicago have been focusing on the Bears and the struggles on offense and at the, the situation with the quarterback and not realizing that the defense has done pretty good in spots and if, especially up front with, with those guys getting pressure. So, so I think that that's going to be a problem. I think on the right side against Alex Leatherwood, that rookie, you know, uh, the Bears are going to target him, I'm sure. Uh, and, of course, you got the whole Khalil Mack undercurrent story. Even though he's been gone a couple years, the Raider thing, it's always a big deal. And so I think that that plays into it. But, but yeah, that, that Raider def- the offensive front has got to do better. And so we'll see what they do up front if they switch guys around a little bit uh, and try to mix it up and find somebody. But they've been decimated by injury. Richie Incognito still not back, hasn't played uh, now in almost a year. Uh, and then you have uh, Denzel Good went down with a knee injury, right? And then you have all these guys plugging in, plug and play, but they're not playing as well as they need to. So so that, I, I've been telling Raider fans this week, you know, that's a lot of Raider fans are a little more confident that, that, that the Raiders will beat the Bears. And I keep saying, yeah, don't be so confident because that defense is always something to be reckoned with. And um, if you if you allow that to happen, boy, it's going to be hard. If your offense can't get going again, uh, this Raiders team might struggle. Uh, on top of that, too, I was wondering, if, do you think it's an advantage that you played the Chargers before you played us? Uh, just because we have our defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, as well as Brandon Saley. They both kind of fall from that Vic Fangio tree, cut from the same cloth. Uh, do you think Gruden's going to be able to take what he saw last week and come up with a decent game plan to, against this style of defense? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think it's, as you know, it's all about preparation and the fact that that there are a lot of similarities there will help them. I think it'll help uh, especially the young offensive linemen to know uh, what's coming a little more. And so when they review that film, which I'm sure they started in earnest today, they're going to be able to, I think, recognize something, some things that they didn't. But, you know, you got to give the Chargers credit too. last week. They did some different things that I don't think the Raiders were expecting. So I'm, I would imagine the Bears will uh, have their surprises as well. But yeah, I mean, it certainly helps. And, 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 and John Gruden, Overall, you know, as a player personnel guy, that's a whole different discussion. But as a as an offensive coach, he's still pretty good uh, and he's still very creative. So I would anticipate 
that they will have learned from last week, and they'll start to put some more wrinkles in their offense to try to catch the Bears off guard. All right, Nick, any other questions for this Raiders offense? Are you going to do your Gruden uh, impersonation that you haven't done in about four years? Yeah, we're going to leave that in four years ago. But I do have <laughs> one one question for you, Scott. What do yep. you make of the slow starts? Five first quarter points all season. It, it kind of seems crazy because of like some of the numbers that Derek Carr has put up. But what do you make of these slow starts for the Raiders? It, it's really a stumper because I'll tell you, the one thing that John Gruden, since he returned to the Raiders four years ago, and even going back to that year, and then, of course, uh, the year where they only won four games a couple in 2019 was that he came out with a scripted offense, right? And they would come out and they would run that offense and it would do really well. The problem for the Raiders over the last three years has been just, uh, for lack of a better expression, crapping the bed in the second half, right? They've done well in the first half and then they would come out third quarter, fourth quarter. They were amongst the worst in the NFL in scoring in the second half for two straight years. And so now it's flip-flopped, and it's hard to figure out because uh, it, they were so good in the first quarter before. And so I, I don't know. I think there's something to be said there for that change up front with the offensive line. I think there's some th something to be said for the fact that they're trying to move the ball around. Derek Carr's playing differently, uh, but at the same time, I think it all comes back to the running game. They're just not able to establish that run. If you remember, I, was, I just uh, tweeted out today because two years ago today I was in London – uh, covering the game against the Bears. And if you remember that, Josh Jacobs got hurt, but they established the run very quickly against the mm -hmm. Bears, and it worked really well. Uh, and I think that's what the Raiders have to do. It's not about the fact that they have to got, have a guy rush for 120 yards every game, but if they can soften up the middle a little bit, make them respect the run, then the Raiders offensively, I think, get going much faster, and they just haven't been able to do that. So that's what I equated to offensive line, not being able to establish the run early so that they can open up that passing game and especially get the ball to Darren Waller. Uh, one la Yeah, you mentioned Waller. That's my one final question here. Bears have been very good at limiting productions from tight end so far this season. Uh, I know Waller is kind of a different beast. Uh, what does he either bring to the table himself or what do the Raiders do schematically to kind of make him be such a vital force of this offense like he has been? Well, the, the thing about the thing that makes it difficult for teams with Darren Waller is the fact that he can line up anywhere. He'll line up in the slot. He lines up outside. He lines up inside in, in jumbo packages, uh, three tight end packages. Uh, and he's just so physical and he's just such a physical. I mean, he really is, if you think about it, like the biggest wide receiver out there, right? He's a guy who, who has the ability uh, that you would see from a wide receiver, but he's got the size of a tight end. Uh, he's also got amazing hands. Uh, and so if you get him in any one-on-one, -on -one, which has been less and less now as teams double him up, the problem is you double him up and then you're leaving open uh, Brian Edwards, you're leaving open Henry Ruggs downfield especially. So so that's helped him as well. But I think I think it, it's it's his desire to always be near the ball, to always get open. And he, he's, he's a mismatch just so often. And it's hard for defense, even when defense is planned for him. Uh, for example, when, when they played Baltimore, uh, they planned for him. They really played him. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't keep it up. Now, each team's a little different depending on the talent. Uh, but that's what it is. It just creates mismatch. And then when he's on the field, you just don't know where he's going to be and where he's going to line up. And that often creates uh, um, the mismatch, but it also creates confusion on the defense. And so far this season, what that's done, he had 19 targets the first game and then each consecutive game had less and less. Uh, and that's because uh, he, he becomes a big decoy there and allows the wideouts to get open uh, and, and Hunter Renfro underneath too, coming out of the slot as well. So, so that's why he's just so dang hard to cover. He's such a great athlete. And of course, his personal story, he is just a man focused on being the best player he can be. And so he works hard at it. 19 targets in a single game. That's, that's a lot to say the least. And I'm sure you're thankful, even though he's a great player, that they are spreading it a, a little bit more than that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to switch our attention over to defensive Scott in just one minute. But first, I have to share a quick message from our friends over at Manscaped. Autumn is in the air, the pumpkins are in the patch, and our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the Leaders in Male Grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED. 
20. First off is the new Performance Package 4.0 includes that new Lawnmower 4.0. If you're looking to cozy up this fall, this trimmer is essential. And you have to seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. Everyone knows pumpkin spice lattes and ball deodorant just go hand in hand. So again, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at Manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose Manscaped, and your balls will thank you. All right, I'm your host, Little Wit. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Nicholas Moriano. We are joined by our guest, Scott Galbronson, who is giving us the lowdown on all things Raiders. We talked about the offense. Now it's time to look at the defense. And, Nick, I'll hand it over to you first. What do you want to learn about? Well, Scott, I just want to know where the health is with this Raiders defense. They lost three cornerbacks throughout that game. Like, where are they at at this point? Uh, I, I don't expect you to give me like a scouting report in terms of who will play on Sunday, but losing your starting corners and then having your nickel go out too, that can't be easy for any, any defense. No. And that, and that's the thing. The Raiders have had to endure uh, injuries all over the place early. And it, it was kind of one of the stories that I always tried to remind fans when we talked to them on our radio show was to say, Hey, listen, uh, this team is deeper, but you're also uh, going into that depth because you're losing guys to injury. I mean, Trayvon Mullen, who they lost again, and we're still waiting for, of course, as you know, we won't know more until the, till later in the week uh, on, on their actual game progress. But Trayvon Mullen, the young corner who's done really well, he's been injured in every single game. And this last game went out permanently uh, and it looks like he's going to be out for a while. Uh, yeah. And, and so, and they signed um, Brandon face on today, a former charger uh, defensive back as well to replace him. So that tells me, Somebody's going to be out. Damon Arnett also injured. Damon Arnett, the, the, the disappointing first-round draft pick out of Ohio State. And so they're banged up on that back end, and that's a big concern because uh, that Raiders defensive backfield has done better so far this season uh, when they've all been out there and healthy. They signed Casey Hayward Jr., of course, the veteran who's been a studying presence back there as well. Jonathan Abram, the safety. He moved from free safety, which was not really the position he should have played in, to box safety. He's done really well, frees him up to be the athlete that he is. Uh, and so that back end is a big question mark going into this game with the Bears. Um, and so Justin Fields in his first start, uh, his first start as the the official bona fide starter, right? He's going to he's gonna probably have to test that pretty quickly. Uh, Amik Robertson is a kid they drafted out of uh, 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 southern Louisiana a couple years ago. He has done really well. He's a small guy, though. He's 5'8", and he's going to have to play outside. He did against the Chargers, and he held his own, actually. Uh, but there's going to be big question marks on that, putting even more pressure, I think, on that Raiders front end and on the, on the defensive front and the linebacking core to really can control the Bears and try to contain them uh, so that they can take some pressure off that banged-up secondary. Scott, when I look at this defense using like a super macro lens, you know, they appear so far to be just average in both yards and points allowed. I think they've had some good stretches, but also I think they have some items to prove here. I just want to know when the defense is working well, what's the driving force behind it? And has there been a thing or two that you've seen offenses consistently do that has given this defense some fit so far? Well, it's interesting because uh, when you talk about kind of them being average, uh, for Raider fans, they're crying because that they're happy they're average because that's how bad Raider defense has been uh, over the last five or six years. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 you know, with, with, with a high flying offense, if you can be middle of the road, you could probably be a playoff team, but mm -hmm. for them, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been rough. I think the run that they got gashed against the chargers again in the run in the short pass game, passing game, which is uh, surprising just because they did improve their linebacking course significantly over last year. Uh, they had Corey Littleton who had an off year last year, who they signed big contract with from the Rams two years ago. He's played much better and he's a coverage guy there as well. And then you add in, um, uh, Denzel Perryman, who they signed as well uh, and actually uh, traded for. So so they, they've made strides there, but they, they're still having problems stopping the run. They've also uh, done better up front. They've, they've pressured the quarterback. If you look at quarterback pressures for the Raiders and what they've been able to do with that new defensive line, including Yannick Ngakwe, including Max Crosby, and then in the middle, Darius Phylon, and some of those guys have done really well. The problem is it's when they get to the second level that they've had some trouble, and so they got to be better against that run. And so if I'm the Bears, 
I'm going to try to establish the run and and do it quickly. And I would I would also do the the, the quick passing game. So and, and that that fits obviously with Justin Fields being a young quarterback. They're going to try to make it easy, and I'm sure Matt Nagy will try to help him out and get him into a rhythm quickly. And that's where we've seen trouble, uh, and we saw with with the with the Chargers. Yeah. Justin Herbert can fling the ball downfield, and he did. But if you look at what they were able to do with the tight ends, what they were able to do with their wide receivers, Austin Eckler is a perfect example. If I'm the Bears, I'm looking at what they did with Austin Eckler, and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Because uh, that's where the Raiders have struggled. Um, because when you go down, or when you pass back in the pocket, uh, the Raiders have been able to get the rush home, not always resulting in sacks, but they're getting a lot of pressures. They're getting a lot of quarterback hits. Uh, and that's been very good for them uh, so far in the season. Uh, but it's that run and that 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 short passing game that's been very difficult for them to stop. Would you expect that pass rush and getting to the, after Justin Fields to kind of continue this week for you guys? Is that your expectation? It is my expectation, and and that's the thing. I, I think the the biggest difference for the Raiders this year, in addition to adding some of that veteran talent, was the switch in defensive coordinators with Gus Bradley coming on board. Gus Bradley doesn't doesn't blitz though. They've blitzed four times in the whole season. So they're getting that much pressure with four guys up front. Uh, and so, so, so I would expect them to stay with what's worked so far and then maybe some wrinkles up front and, and maybe some different looks because of the troubles on the back end with injury. We'll have to see what they do. I still think they could probably um, um, move some guys around back there to see what works. Uh, but certainly that's going to be a liability for them. They're going to have to play through it. Uh, and they're going to have to really rely on getting to Justin Fields and bringing him down because uh, if they give him too much time uh, and get those receivers open, uh, I think the Raiders are going to have trouble on the back end. Scott, I feel like in that Chargers game, it was a tale of two halves for the defense. After that, giving up that opening touchdown drive, they forced four consecutive stops, and in the second half only gave up seven points. I guess when you see the 28 points of what the Chargers were able to do offensively, and then you see what they, you know, the Raiders defense limited them to in the second half, how do you assess what the defense did on Monday night? Well, I think I think what the defense did is they, they were on the field too long, right? And so because the offense, I mean, remember, the Raiders offense in the first quarter had zero yards. They had no yards in the first quarter. Uh, in the first half, I think it was 54 yards. They were not able to get a first down. Uh, it took for them forever. And so when you leave the defense on the field, they're a very well-conditioned team. Uh, as you can see from playing two overtime games, they didn't seem tired in either one of those overtime games. But I just think the way that the game unfolded, that Raiders defense, that Raiders defense being a middle-of-the-road defense, like you said, it's it's not a top-10 defense. It's not a bottom-10 defense. It's somewhere in the middle. So it's going to bend but not break at times. And so I think when you get in a game with a team like the Chargers who have a great young quarterback like that and a lot of tools like Mike Williams on the outside, you're going to have to score with them. Um, and so the Raiders aren't at the point yet where they have a defense that's going to hold somebody to 14 points a game. It's just not going to happen. So if that's the case, you got to score. So if your offense doesn't click, then you're in trouble. I don't care how well the defense plays. And I think the defense is playing as well as it can. And then, of course, against the Chargers, they had the rash of injuries, too, which hurt them uh, in the secondary, especially because they got burned several times there. But I, I think that's the key to this team. The key to this team is play defense, middle of the road, do what you do. But you're going to give up three touchdowns on average. So you're going to have to score more than that. So for defense, we're looking at a you know pretty good pass rush, a little bit uh, you know lax against the run, and some real big health concerns in the back end. Is there anything else that we should know about this side of the ball entering this week, whether it be you know big picture or maybe player specific? No, I mean I think that with all the injuries in the backfield, it's gonna it's kind of gonna eclipse uh, one of the guys that they drafted uh, out of Illinois actually in the fifth round this year, and that's Nate Hobbs. Nate Hobbs is playing amazing. The, the kid plays like he's a five year veteran, uh, and he's done an amazing job. So it'll be see, interesting to see what he does on Sunday. But he's a guy to keep your eye on out there, as is Jonathan Abram. I think with Jonathan Abram at that box safety position, with what they're dealing with. Um, they're going to have to use him in new ways uh, to try to create pressure. So they might. Gus Bradley's just not going to blitz that much. But I wouldn't be surprised with a young quarterback there if they bring Jonathan Abram up to the line and blitz him once or twice uh, during the game at key points to try to get to Justin Fields and to try to do something again to alleviate that pressure on the back end. Nick, anything else that you want to ask Scott, either on defense or any other bigger picture items that are kind of on your mind? Yeah, just last thing, very specific, the Raiders' defense when facing fourth downs, they have given up a 32.7% on, on those third down or those fourth downs. I'm just curious, how frustrating is that maybe sometimes knowing that the defense can get to that fourth down marker 
and then you know maybe give it up uh, actually the number 60 percent of the time so 23rd mm-hmm. in the league so well i mean again how frustrating is that seeing again middle of the road defense doing everything right for you know three downs and then that fourth down you know things you tend to go the other team's way yeah, it's, it's real interesting, and I think some of that's a little bit of the scheme and what they do in situations like that. Uh, it's also a little bit of who they've played and what those teams have done offensively and the looks they've given them on fourth down. Uh, but, yeah, it's a concern, and it goes back to the run, too. If you look at – I forgot the percentage of, of those those fourth downs that were converted on a run. I think most of them were, uh, and so, so they've had trouble against the run. It's been something that hasn't been talked about a lot, but this week after what we saw with the Chargers specifically – it's starting to come up more. So I think that's it. In short yardage situations, the Raiders are not good on defense and they're not good on offense either, by the way. They're still struggling there as well uh, when it comes to to converting on thirds and fourths. So so overall for this team, whatever that that mojo they need to start to stick it to defenders, or excuse me, to uh, um, uh, their opponents on defense, they're going to have to do it. But I, I do think that um, they're getting better and and we'll see how it goes that that. That scheme will, will decide a little bit there, but we'll have to see what happens. But definitely a weak point for them, and, and we'll see if they can get better at it against the Bears. All right, Scott. So I just have two more questions for you. Uh, the last one, super general. Is there anything else that we should know about this team? No, I mean, it, th- this team is much different than Raiders team. You know, the last two Raiders teams have been, um, I think, uh, uh, bookmarked by the fact that they had late season fades. So, so they're not going to be able to prove that's not going to happen until you get to week 12 or 14, uh, really, if this team's going to make a push at, at an AFC playoff spot as a wild card, in my view, clearly. Uh, but I think this team is different. The feel you have with this, uh, the mentality, the coaching staff, the culture, the mood around it is much, much different. And so that's why I think a lot of people are nervous going into this Bears game, but then a lot of people who are closer to the team feel like, no, you know, there's, there's no guaranteed wins or losses, but at the same time, I expect this team to bounce back. I think they've matured a lot, even though they have young players, and I think that they, they are in a much different space uh, and have a lot to prove, and, and unfortunately they didn't prove it against the Chargers, but I think that they, they are, from a mental standpoint and a preparation standpoint, in a much different place. So, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back uh, from that Chargers loss uh, against. And Scott, why will the Raiders bounce back and end up going four and one? Boy, good question. Um, you know, I, it's a home game, number one. Um, so, so I think that'll help uh, the crowd at the new Allegiant Stadium, Raider Nation travels well and i say travels well because even though las vegas has quickly become a raiders town since the move uh, you get a lot of people from the bay area and a lot of people from los angeles who come up for those games so the environment if you watch the game against miami in overtime it makes a difference so i think for them to get home in front of that crowd will be good but also i think that that offense um that offense is not as bad as they looked early on in that that charger game so if the raiders can come out and play four quarters which i would expect them to do this time because that's going to be the focus this week is to get off to a better start and 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 do that uh to me that gives me hope that they will come out and put themselves in a position to win the game i think it'll still be a close game uh and whichever way it goes uh but i think the raiders will position themselves well they've started to establish now i think a home field advantage which they didn't have last year with nobody in the stands they didn't do they were two and six at home last year so so i think that that'll be a big part of it and this team will do it. It's just the injuries are stacking up. That's the biggest concern. And so um, my little bit of doubt there on whether or not uh, they're able to, to bring it home will be based on whether or not they can keep that Bears offense off the field as much as possible so they're not exposed on that back end if they're very thin. Look at you getting ahead of it, because that was my second part of my final question was, <laughs> what would it take for the Bears to win? Is there anything else that you would like to add other than keeping that Bears offense off the field? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, if the Bears can, if the Bears can establish the run and they can they can go uh, and, and get the passing game established, if, if if fields can come out and get into a nice rhythm early and continue that game and expose the weaknesses on the Raider defense because of injury, then they should have a good night. I mean, uh, or day, afternoon, they should have a good afternoon because to me, that's that's going to be the problem with the Raiders. They're going to have to. And that's what Nagy needs to do is he needs to attack the weaknesses of that Raiders defense, uh, knowing that you're going to have mismatches with a 5'8 cornerback, uh, knowing that you have two guys already out 
uh, and that they are going to be a little slower on that back end uh, and they're going to be a little more vulnerable. And then, of course, if you can establish the run game, right? So if you can get that run game going too, which of course includes Justin Fields, um, then suddenly I think that's another wrinkle having a running quarterback. Of course, they did well overall against Lamar Jackson, uh, but again, that was with a full, fully healthy defense. So we'll have to see what they do. But I think the Bears, if they can establish the run, and then start attacking the outside with some of those uh, uh, second, third string guys on, on the cornerback, um, they could be trouble for the Raiders, and that might be a key success for them. Excellent stuff throughout the entirety of this segment, Scott. Thank you again so much for hopping on our show. I learned a lot about the Raiders. I'm sure Nick feels the same. And if we're learning stuff, I'm positive that our listeners are as well. And I know this was rather short notice this week, and you're on a short week on top of that. So, uh, again, I just want to express our appreciation for you taking some time to help us out this week. No, my pleasure, guys. You guys do great work and always good to talk to uh, the folks in my hometown, the place of my birth. Uh, Chicago, and uh, can't wait to get back there soon. Sounds great. Thank you again. Uh, you feel free to bounce, and I think Nick and I have more Justin Fields talk that we want to get to. At least I want <laughs> great. to. Thank All you, right, guys. Take care. Enjoy the game you, on Scott. Sunday. Thank you so much. So anyway, Justin Fields, like Raiders, Smaders, man. No, I'm kidding. Scott did great work. Uh, appreciate his time here on our show. Um, but getting back to Justin Fields, I do think where I want to kind of steer the conversation that we started at the top of the show is the question that I kind of posed to Scott is, can the Bears develop a franchise quarterback? And I don't know if you have that answer, Nick, or if anyone us do, but I think that's a valid concern that I have. Do you share that or are you just gung ho riding the high and like, this is all going to work out? No, because we've done that before. And we've seen where it's kind of put, you know, fans in a dark, dark place with Mitchell Trubisky. So there's always going to be question marks, whether the bears can actually develop a quarterback, but will it helps to have a quarterback that has all the talent in the world that has all the one, the, the physical physicalness that you need to be able to play this position with the arm talent but also the mental capacity as well so if you have those two things going for you I think it does make your job a little easier in terms of developing a quarterback but yeah I'm not going to say like hey 100% confidence that the Bears are going to do this right we haven't seen that we've never seen that nope. so I can't express confidence that it's going to happen this time but man it's hard to picture a scenario where a guy like Justin Fields goes wrong and I wouldn't blame it on him I would all the blame would go on what the Bears coaching staff could do but you know for the sake of Bears fans for us too, the podcast we hope that Justin Fields turns out to be the guy that we all think that we all know he's capable of being right you and I we're coming up on our six 100th episode uh, which should be the post game show by the way which is remarkable and I think it happened when after we drafted Fields you and I were talking offline I'm like I'm ready for like the next thousand episodes about the Justin Fields era like it rejuvenated me and like some of the gumption to keep this show rolling full steam ahead because when it gets as dark as it did in the second half of last season Boy, does it get real tough to get on and talk about a pregame show and a postgame show and it's loss after loss after loss. But having a guy like this here to talk about in official capacity now, especially, it's so nice. It's a fresh of breath air, and I'm looking forward to, you know, even the bumps in the road. And we need to understand there will be bumps in the road so that way when we hit them, you know, we don't freak out. We just know it's part of the journey uh, that's ahead of here for us. And when we were going through these offseason talks too, Nick, a lot of speculation was about the fate of a Matt Nagy and a Ryan Pace. And, you know, before they drafted a quarterback, we thought their lifespan was, you know, potentially on life support. And now with drafting a quarterback, you have more of a grace period. If they royally screwed this up this season with Justin, is there a chance they figured out this offseason again? Like, okay, no, you don't get that grace period. And that may be more of an Aggie question than a pace one at this stage. But I'm just curious if there's still a way for Nagy to work his way out of Chicago or to save his job with, depending on how the Justin Fields, I'm not going to call it an experiment because he's not an experiment, but experience uh, goes here for the remainder of the season. I think one way Matt Nagy can lose his job in Chicago you know, for the 2022 season is if he were to revert back and try to take take the play calling back things go south like we've seen it happen every single time and then we just see that one 
it's just not working out. There's too much of that pride that I think Matt Nagy displays in, you know, just who he is. And I get it. You know, you, you were brought in to be this offensive guru and it just happens that you, well, you're not, you can't really, you're not capable of doing it to the best of your ability with the players that you have around them. But if that were to happen at some point this season, like maybe it's not even that Bill Lazor's doing a bad job. Just Matt Nagy feels like, oh, I've learned it. And then things are to go south and you see it in the play with Justin and the offense, then you're out. And it could also be, you can also be out of a job, honestly. If you look, it, I don't think the Bears need to make the playoffs. I really don't. I don't, they don't need to make the playoffs for Matt Nagy to keep his job. I don't think that's the case, especially now that Justin Fields is starting, you know, week five on from here on out. So it would just take, Again, bad culture, just some things that are not really characteristic with what Matt Nagy's kind of instilled with this team. But I think what it would take would be somehow take over the play calling dues again, which I really, I, I, I think that's done with. I would hope it's done with because of what potentially Bill Lazor can do and expand on. But I think honestly, Will, it's going to be really tough to, I know fans are like fire Nagy, get Ryan Pace out of here. There's a really, there's a lot of conviction with that. But I think it's going to be tough for either one of those guys because, one, we don't even know what kind of contracts these guys even have. That's been True. so secret in terms of the the actual details of that. So nobody really knows. But I think it's going to take a lot to get either one of those guys out of Chicago, regardless, really, of how the season goes. Okay, so I guess where my mind's going next is how do we alter those season expectations a bit, right? Because we do have a different guy under center someone that even though he's still learning the NFL game a bit and getting used to being well now an NFL starter full-time he does I still believe raise the ceiling a bit at least the potential ceiling of what this season could end up being just because of his special arm talent his leadership ability and everything he brings to the table as, as long as they offensively help him out I feel like we could potentially have higher expectations for this season and how it could be. But you also mentioned, you know, maybe not making the playoffs. I, I, I'm still borderline. I'm not saying starting Justin Fields as early makes the Bears a playoff team, but I, I do believe it makes their chances better than going back to an Andy Dalton in a week or two. It's all going to depend, Will, on how, how much Justin Fields is progressing each and every week and then through, you know, all the days that lead up to game day. And the thing is, too, what we all have to keep in mind is that Justin Fields is not reaching his ceiling at by the end of the season, by the end of this month. It's going to take time for him to do that just because, again, of everything he's going to learn. So, But what does a – maybe I, I don't know if the right word is raw – or just new Justin Fields still add to this this offense and this team. That's a lot. We saw it just in just the what the seventeen or eighteen uh, passing attempts that he had uh, just last week against the Detroit Lions. So it's all going to depend on how much he can develop and what the guys around him are really, especially that offensive line. But for me, like yes, I would love to see the Bears go to the playoffs and actually get in there on their own terms, unlike last season. Yeah. So they're getting in there, and maybe it's like a last season spurt, like to win a couple of games to you know somehow get their way in there. But it's hard to to gauge right now. Is this again? We need to see more of Justin Fields and not against the Detroit Lions to see and assess where this team actually is and how much progress they're making on a week-to-week basis to actually see, well, where's this team going to end up? Because right now that question, I think you ask one Bears fan one thing, you can ask them another thing. You ask a Justin Fields fan, they're going to the Super Bowl. And then the, <laughs> the realists are like, they should have kept Andy Dalton. Who knows? But I think it's I think it's all over the place at this point. It really is. And you didn't even mention that huge strength of schedule uh, that the Bears are going to be yeah. battling throughout the remainder of this year too. It's not an easy task. I just – at least as of right now, I'm pretty confident that Justin Fields makes this Bears offense better. And I'm just trying to figure out what that means for this year uh, as we kind of work through things over here. Is there anything else that you want to at least discuss with me about Justin Fields becoming the starting quarterback? It's odd because he already has started two weeks in a row, but it's still a momentous day when the Bears, at least coaching staff, has made the decision like to roll with the rookie the rest of the way. 
I think there there are two things. One, Mason actually expressed this on the post game show, seeing when Justin Fields actually makes that first official passing touchdown happen, which is going to be could be you know on Sunday. But the other thing is, I want to see how this offense now that Justin Fields is the starting quarterback and their game planning with his abilities and strengths in mind, where his rushing ability factors into these game plans now because we haven't seen a lot of just quarterback designed runs but he's definitely capable of it and Matt Nagy was asked about you know Justin Fields and that strength that he does have and I think it was Jason Leisure of the Sun Times was asking him well are you going to try to make him something different and but Matt Nagy said no you you have to use that ability so now because he's still involved with making that game plan he made sure that everybody knew that because that's again who Matt Nagy is but how now that attribute of his game, where when are we going to see it really sprinkled in there? On quarterback design runs, we saw it on that third down, what was a third down and four off the right edge against the Detroit Lions where he beats the safety on the angle and gets nine yards on the first down. But now let's see those quarterback design runs to where you're utilizing a strength that not a lot of quarterbacks in this league have. And that also just will expand the offense. I do believe throughout time, laser and fields growing together between offensive coordinator and quarterback and tailoring to those strengths and figuring it out on a week-to-week basis, uh, taking your opponent in mind, it's going to be a learning curve. Uh, I think we got really good results against the Lions, although we know that that was not a good defense. We need to see what it looks like against a better defense, which we will hear this week. Again, as Scott mentioned, not a top 10 defense, but they're not a bottom feeder unit as well. They're somewhere in the middle. But with some of those injuries this week, maybe that keeps that door, you know, cracked a little bit where we can take advantage and have similar results that we saw last week with some of those explosive plays. But we do want to see him get that touchdown. I'm someone where... I, I, I think Justin feels the same way. Like he's not, he, I'm sure he wants to get that off his back, but as long as they're winning, that can keep on going as long as it needs to be, as long as he's putting his team in a position to win, as well as the bears are actually stringing together some of those dubs uh, as well. And I think we mentioned it before, but if not, I just want to say like Andy Dalton has handled this like as a true professional, whether, you know, supporting Justin, giving him that phone call and, them just talking and making sure that this doesn't change the relationship because there's a lot of good things Andy can continue to help with Justin Fields. Same thing with Nick Foles on this roster. And even though the roles were reversed and Dalton, you know, with that one year deal kind of knew he was after they drafted Fields knew like his time was limited, but beforehand thought, Hey, maybe this is an opportunity. I can get one more shot down the line. He doesn't have a lot of tape to do it this year. So, you know, he's disappointed, but he's still handling it with class. Absolutely. He's been such a great professional and such a great teammate for Justin Fields, for Nick Foles. And that's going to continue, like Justin Fields said in his press conference today. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes stuff that he's going to do that's going to help Justin Fields on game day. And we're not going to read stories about it. He's not going to get the headline news about it. But because of who Andy Dalton is, how he kind of carries himself he cares about this football team and now he's going to do whatever is best to help prepare Justin Fields on Sundays for the bears to win. Because even though he's only been here a couple of months, he's, he's fully invested. And I can't imagine how that conversation actually went between him, Matt Nagy, whether pace was whoever was involved that can, that could not have been easy, especially with, you know, Andy Dalton's situation now bouncing from Dallas to Chicago after being a long-term starter in Cincinnati of course that's tough he's a competitor but he's handled it like you said well with all class and he's just going to be such a great asset for Justin Fields in his rookie season because it's probably realistically is the last season he'll be working with him and then we'll have to see how that quarterback room shuffles you know again going into 2022 but yeah he's been such a great asset for for Justin Fields and honestly this Bears organization even though he had we got a lot of slack he got a lot of, a lot of slack from me when the Bears you know, signed him because Russell Wilson's supposed to be the guy, but he's been, he's been really good for the bears. I like where we're at. I, I liked when I logged on to the, well, not logged on, visited the bears website today, clicked the depth chart button and saw Justin Fields listed uh, as the number one guy on it. That, that made me happy. And I screenshotted it and I've saved it in a folder 
And uh, this is one of those I look back at, and like, this was the day. Like, this is when it made that shift. I still remember, as you said at the top, like, it's almost like five, what, four years ago to the day or week at least, where the Bears gave it over to Mitch and all the buzz that was there. And that was a little different because we didn't get to see him beforehand. Um, but this, feel, I feel much more confident. I think with Mitch, it's like all those nervous feelings, like, what's this going to be? How's this going to work out? But with Justin, I'm confident he's the guy. I'm just not as confident in the organization to develop him to the level that I believe he can achieve, whether that be on the field, off the field, and his aspirations all the way around. But hopefully we got it and we can figure this out, even if there's some kinks to kind of iron out along the way. Also, I'm excited to see the bromance between Fields and Mooney uh, continue to blossom. I saw the video uh, of them kind of working out together, you know, in their apartment or house and all those targets that Mooney had last week. That's not a coincidence, Nick. If you see him off the field that much and how often they were clicking and how often Fields was looking to number 11 on game day, that's only going to continue to grow too. And that's a young duo and they can become dynamic here sooner rather than later. So that, that also excites me. No, it is really exciting. And, you know, it leaves, I think, Bears fans hopeful for what is to, to come for this offense, especially those two. But yeah, seeing those two connect against Detroit, you just hope that continues all this season and definitely further beyond that. And it's different, too, for Fields entering this week because weeks prior, you're trying to prove yourself to your guys. You don't know if you're going to keep this job no matter how well you play. And I think the confidence knowing like this team believes in me enough to anoint me the starter, this is my job now, this is my team, I feel like that's going to switch yet another gear into Justin Fields and what he's going to bring to the table come game days. And again, from a kid that continues to impress, every time I see him in person, I, I just get more enamored with his tools and his this ability to make big-time throws. And let's see what he can do now, knowing he is officially the guy. Any final thoughts before I wrap up, Nick? No, but we'll see you tomorrow for the preview show. So look yeah. forward to that. Yep, a long night ahead, turning around two shows and getting back to our preview show. So thank you for that segue, Nick. Up next will be our full game preview episode. Nick Mason and myself will be giving you the inside scoop on all things Bears, Raiders, everything you need to know before kickoff. Uh, Before then, if you haven't yet, please rate and review our show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps us reach more Bears fans like you, like us, as well as when we're talking to some potential sponsors. It's a great number uh, to kind of show them, as well as if it continues to grow, it just really helps demonstrate that you're there, you're listening, and can help us out as well. So tomorrow you'll get us for our game preview. But until next time, Dustin Fields is officially QB1, and of course, Bear Down Chicago. Bear down.